Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's May 18th, 2014. This is On The Grid, episode 65. This week on the show, we talked about haircuts, emergency text messages, and Square Wallet. Here we go. Gentlemen, how was your weekend? Fantastic. Dan, when do you have a bad weekend? Everything's fantastic. You want to have a root canal. No, I could start a little bit early because we took Thursday off, uh, Angie and I, to do the whole wedding anniversary thing. So, Oh, yeah. How'd that go? It was good. Um, we went up to the San Pablo Reservoir, which is basically a big old reservoir for the uh, San Pablo Dam that's like half an hour from us. Uh, we got to rent a boat and just kind of like hang out on the water uh, for a few hours. So it was really, it was really nice. Um, it was nice. A to, boat. Nice. I know. I know. And, Classic uh, guy. Fuck. Yeah, it was pretty cool, though, because we were originally just going to get, like, one of the old, like, the, the hand-done motors that is just on the back of the boat. Um, and we got to the dock, and the guy was like, you know what? It's the, towards the end of the day, let's just get you one of the other boats that's a little bit nicer. That's at the end of the dock, so there's less fuss. Uh, so we actually got one of the nicer boats that has, like, the steering wheel and the throttle and everything. Nice. Yeah. So did you sit out in the water and listen to Fog Hat and other bands Andy's unaware of? Yep, pretty much. Wee! <laughs> I'm not invited to the boat party. After that, we went and uh, went to a, a Tyone restaurant down the street from us called Bucci's, which is very nice, too. You're really giving away your location. You're not afraid about people hunting you down, I guess. And people are going to triangulate it from the, from the reservoir and the restaurant. We're going to know exactly where you're at soon. Listen, if somebody wants to hunt me down, shame on them. Hunt me down once. Shame on me. <laughs> hunt me down twice. Is that how that goes? Well, obviously, yeah. I'm not me down part. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. I had a good week. I, uh, nothing eventful happened, but I did get a haircut. And I feel like, have we ever talked about haircuts on the show before? No, we've, we've talked about facial hair, but never haircuts. Okay, I feel like haircuts is a really important, important thing to talk about. Because it gives me such, such a crisis every time. Uh, you know, it, it seems like it should be like the most simple client clientele sort of or i'm uh, sorry client uh you know consultant or you know provider or service provider relationship where like you go in give them some money get a haircut but to me it is so so complicated do you guys have any issues with haircuts like this do you think about actually it you know time? what i do have an issue is that every time i don't quite know how to communicate what i want but i want the same haircut every time you think by now i would have figured out like I'll just bring a picture of me last I, time. I have tried. But... I have tried all these methods. I have tried bringing <laughs> in pictures. I have tried going on my phone and scrubbing through bad haircuts, good haircuts, or showing them what's up. Mostly, I feel bad asking for what I want. I, I, so I feel like in some ways, if you're the person that cuts hair, you should know what is good for, for hair and my head shape and whatnot. I should just walk in and say, make me look good. And That's actually kind of what I do, and sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, it never goes well for me. Not Not once. Uh, so yeah, it's like I, I have, so I have the trouble with that. Like, yeah, I, I feel like in some ways they should know better than I, I don't know anything about my hair. I have the worst hair. It's, I hate it all the time. I have no idea how to style it. Please just tell me what to do and I will do it. You're the expert here. Uh, and no one wants to hear about as a hairstylist. I feel like they're very, in terms of like, uh, people that have clients, they are very, uh, receptive to recommendations from people they're talking to people people will straight up tell them you know what what clipper to use they'll be like use a number four they're going to inform their tools uh that's that's something there's also like a vague like class thing going on there where you know no one cutting my hair is better off than me that just never happens so i feel bad being at all picky or having any strong opinions uh i don't know it's a very it's a very complicated uh human interaction for me and there's the force like you're in the chair 
and then this person feels ob obligated to talk to you for the entire duration of that encounter, which I just feel bad for them because they have to have nonstop, like, shallow conversation after shallow conversation all the time. I get asked the same questions all day. I don't know how to approach haircuts. You know, and I'll add a layer to that, too. I feel like there's no place for me. There are, like, salons for women. There's they're like, not just for women. They're for anyone that cares, Matt. I go to salons sometimes. See, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm walking into foreign territory where I, I don't belong. Oh, and no, there's they're like, very friendly. You should try it sometime. And then there's, like, the supercuts thing where you're not going to get necessarily a great quality haircut or just, like, the mall haircut places. And then there are, like, the manly barber shops mm, where I'm, those like, are the worst. I'm not, like, blue collar enough. For the, like you're, oh, or, or you're even worse, like I'm a, I don't know, like I'm some dork walking in here. There's no place where I feel like I, I fit quite into the barbershop culture. See, I, I think worse than like the manly, like the actual manly, like historical barbershop is like the hipster class, like new, nouveau, oh, nouveau I know, manly I have never barbershop. actually, I've walked into the other three I mentioned. <sighs> Those do exist around here and I have not mustered oh. up. Yeah, like you any know, the courage to walk into one of those because they're I don't know I can't deal with seventy dollars for a straight razor shave with an artisanally shaped blade, and they'll give you a whiskey when you walk in the door. Probably it's all the worst. I mean, I've I've thought about that where you're like, hmm, I get to drink while while I cut my hair, but also do you ever think about hair falling in your drink? No, I never think about that. I find hair in so many weird places after a haircut. I don't think I want to drink while I get a haircut. The best was in college. I just had a friend that would cut my hair, and she did the best job of anybody. And that was free, and we got to hang out and be friends and talk for a while. It was like a good bonding time because it was real conversation. But college is over, man. Time to go to the real world. I actually remember a, uh, you know, in college I had a friend whose girlfriend was a hairdresser, and that seemed to work out very well. Made haircuts no problem. I, I seriously know. think about it. Like, it's not a bad situation. Like the, the strife of, and the mental anguish of having to get my hair cut keeps me from doing it. I get it cut very, very short, and then I let it grow until it is ridiculously long, like five, six months before I get it cut again because I, I can't handle the situation. If you have tips, please email me, tweet me, tell me how to do this. I, oh, it's so hard. Man, just, just buzz your hair. That's what I do. Been doing it for years. Mm. I did that in college, but I got I ended up looking very scary. Yeah, yeah that's the that's point, man. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't I don't need to look I don't need to look I don't know. I don't want to look scary. That. I want to look approachable and friendly. And I feel like, yeah, with a buzzed head, I go right from like normal plain looking white dude to like normal plain looking serial killer. Like real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I have the same problem. I appreciate the economy of it. When I was a kid, my, my dad used to buzz my hair every summer. I remember sitting in the backyard and he'd just run the clippers over my head and it would be done. Uh, that was great, super, super efficient. But not, not as an adult. No, I can't pull that off. No way. I have a giant head too, like a really big head. I don't want to grasp too much for meaning in our friendly banter at the front, but I really do think that like the complexity of just the human interaction of getting a haircut speaks to how like weird and complex humans are. Like it's. It, it, people so often like try and make humans simple and we're not we're very complicated uh and like doing work for somebody else for money is a very complicated thing which lots of designers do and to think that i can't even like figure out how to get a haircut without like doing mental backflips uh it's it's complicated man it does make you appreciate the role of the client a little bit more yeah that's a good point i guess yeah hey look it's not as easy to communicate exactly what you want as much as there is every website in the world dedicated to the frustration of the designer dealing with a client clients from hell or whatever i fucking hate that shit we talked about how much i hate that shit we haven't i tend to hate it as well i tend to think 
it's a bunch of whiny, whiny people, but I hate it and I hate the celebration of it. Yeah, it's the worst. And sometimes in those emails, I'm like, hey, this client is being totally reasonable uh, and you're just clearly a bad designer. Otherwise, this would never have happened. <laughs> I tend to think that a lot. I don't want to be so mean, but like sometimes you're just like, just, yeah, they don't know everything that you know because you're supposedly the expert here. Don't be such a dick. Yeah, I guess more often it's not like you're obviously a bad designer because of this email, but it's more like you obviously did not communicate anything you're supposed to communicate with this person because you got this email from them and now you're going to make fun of them by putting it on a fucking Tumblr. Uh, you're the worst. You're what's wrong with designers. I hate you. Um, I hate's a strong word, but I really don't like you. I wish you'd stop doing that. Oh, there's one other thing about haircuts. One other thing about haircuts that really gets me, which is that in every other industry, I feel like you get to see how good of a job you did but in haircuts i feel like you can't judge a successful haircut the from the moment it's being from the moment it happens you know you have to like look at it a week two weeks a month out to know how it grows in and how it sort of you know works on a day-to-day -day basis and people that kind of never get to do that ever that sounds that seems hard to like be a person that can do that job without ever seeing the like long tail of the work you do i guess people come in if people come in regularly Maybe you guys. I a suppose, chance, I yeah, with know. your regulars, I guess you could see that a little bit. I guess if you cut your friends' hairs too, yeah. you probably get that a little bit. Anyway, I like thinking about what other people do for a living. It's, it seems fun, but every time I think about haircutting, I get stressed out. Uh, it was announced this week, at least, that uh, in many places now you can text nine one one instead of having to call them. Um, and I just wanted to talk about the potential ramifications for, for this sort of new innovation uh, and what everyone thought of it. So, Dan, what do you think of texting 911? Mm, it's going to be one of those things just because it's so easy to do that I'm sure they're going to get a lot of spam. But at the same time, I could see those instances where somebody doesn't feel safe or is unable to be able to speak on the phone, or even clearly to be able to text 911. I could see it being useful. Uh, but then again, I, the, the whole spammy part might just be more trouble, more trouble than it's worth. I, I heard it and I immediately thought of the positive, like, surely there are plenty of situations where somebody is like in a in a situation where they really don't want to say something out loud and be heard. But they'd like to kind of secretly call the police, essentially like the the button you have under the table. If you work at a uh, convenience store or something, if somebody breaks in the silent alarm, yeah. it's the uh, silent alarm for the general public. Is that not? A great well, thing. Be, I mean, it seems. Do, do you know, like, the question I had was whether or not, um, like, if they knew the general location where it came from, like, if that's even accessible, or if you if you have to actually have like an extended conversation through text. Well, it did mention in the article that that Andy had posted that they do need you to text your location. Not that you have need to have an extended extended conversation, yeah. but they can't triangulate via text the same way they can triangulate. Via yeah, call. but uh, I guess that's that's the thing that came to mind too is that it actually might even take more time just to type something out, depending on the situation. Like there might be some things where it's more urgent, like some sort of edge case where it's more urgent and texting made more sense than calling or something like that. I would imagine, uh, you know, in in such urgent situations, I don't think people, are people going to nonchalantly text and in a situation that it would be easier to call and give your location? It's not like you're not calling because someone had a heart attack, but like, let's say there's an intruder and you're hiding in the bathroom or something and you text so they don't hear you. Like that well, seems yeah. like a more appropriate situation and actually a better, you know, something that couldn't have happened previously. No, so the interesting thing to me about this sort of change is that, you know, I think we all know that when you change the, the way in which people are communicating with each other, uh, whether you intend to or not, you change the content of that communication. Uh, and it seems to me like there's probably 
you know, every situation I would be in where I would want to contact the police is either a, I want to call the police situation or I want to text the police situation. There's probably not much where it's like I could go either way and there's no benefit to one or the other. And so I'm wondering how, just how, you know, adding texting to 911 totally changes like the jobs of the people that are the dispatchers and totally changes this entire system. It seems like a really big thing, I guess, to me that is kind of being glossed over like a little sort of side note in the, in the, on the newspaper headlines. Are you familiar with the, the Kitty Genovese story, that situation? Yes, 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 of course. Tell the people about the situation if they don't know. Okay, so so here's what, I'm not totally clear on whether this is like absolute truth or like some part urban legend, but the story is a woman gets murdered. This happens. Yeah, I know it really happened, but I don't know how true it is that nobody actually called or if, you know, at least a couple of people tried. But anyway, the point is, the story goes that this woman was murdered in an apartment building and it was so loud and dramatic that everybody just in the apartment building just assumes that somebody calls 911 and because everyone assumes that this must have happened nobody actually called yeah and but the story goes that this is like the reason this this story is told and it is a true story because it, it's supposed to show you something about human nature but also i wonder if this <laughs> it tells you a little bit about the technology involved and the friction involved in picking up the phone and whether would like if if texting nine one one existed at the time? Does this not happen? Does everybody pick up their phone and they send one little text like "woman being murdered" and we've solved that problem? Or is it even a bigger problem because now everyone lacks that friction and you have a hundred messages? Like, is it a problem to get a hundred messages about one event? Oh yeah, that's actually very interesting to think about on the other end too. That do they do the messages received end up correlating at some point, or do you have? hundred different dispatchers with a hundred different messages all going to the same place. I mean, it, it leads you to think you have to design a pretty smart system to kind of like almost the way that Twitter is like dealing with trending topics. Like this 911 emergency system needs to deal with the topic of like a car crash in a very populated area, for example. And even I think uh, at some point in that system, it does definitely get like deduplicated. And it's probably at the very least when they dispatch something, because I think my understanding of the system, at least, is that you can sort of see all the live dispatches that are out. So you'll see like, oh, there are already firemen and police officers and ambulances dispatches location. This is taken care of. But yeah, no, it's 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 very interesting to me to think about how this sort of system has, in fact, changed and how they're going to handle. I have to imagine, too, if you're in this situation, if you're the, the police, uh, you'll take as many duplicates as you need to take to guarantee you'll get all of the things you need to get, you know? Like, I don't know how many situations are missed by by 911 calls, like the Kitty Genovese sort of thing, um, but I have to imagine that anything that sort of cuts down the number of things that people are not calling the police about that are real emergencies uh, is probably a good thing to implement, even if it does have some, uh, some cruff that comes along with it you have to deal with. Yeah, the situation being so dire that you'd rather just deal with as much as you possibly can rather than mi- even miss one opportunity if somebody's potentially dead, which is obviously a very serious well, consequence. It's, it's kind of cool to think about just like the idea of, I don't know, a good term other than like crowdsourcing um, all the information for something, because then maybe you, you can actually get more detail on what's going on. Uh, before anybody arrives so maybe there's a little bit more insight of like what the situation is before you have somebody who's dispatched arriving to whatever the scene is uh that seems kind of cool but the- i mean it's just a, it's a, it sounds like a private version of twitter like this is what twitter has been for like shootings in public places for a period of time where not that it's like the most accurate information you just get a flurry of information in a short period of time and the public is a little bit more aware of it in a in a faster period than with any sort of previous medium, right? It's just this is something that can be controlled by, you know, an emergency response team. I'm also I think a lot about the the innate 
parts of the medium that make it different. Like we haven't talked about the fact that this also includes photos. You can now send photos to the police to 911 through the system, uh, which I think can be way more descriptive than you could ever hope to be even on the phone if you actually send a photo of what's happened. And there's also like the precision of text in some way. Uh, like, for example, in Baltimore, there is a Lafayette Street and also a Fayette Street, just the last part of Lafayette. There are two different streets in different parts of a city. Uh, and I've had two people that I know that have called 911 for something happening on one of those streets. And in both situations, they were misinterpreted as talking about the other street, and they caused a bunch of confusion. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of people that call 911 and are frantic and are, you know, fumbling with their words, possibly. Uh, and something about, like, if I'm communicating with somebody, I know for sure that I have said the exact right thing and they only need to read it and understand it and they can always reference it later and check it again. I don't have to say it again. Um, there's there's other things about that medium that change, I think, the nature of communication through it. Yeah, and, and what's worse too is that thinking about autocorrect or even just like uh, the hopeful that every text message is perfect, crystal clear English or whatever the language is, rather than people using shorthand, there being typos, autocorrecting is something that was, they didn't mean, uh, like all those factors kind of come in. Texting a picture to 911 is maybe like the most positive thing to come of this step forward. Like it does seem like a step forward to allow, you know, allow communication via text um, as opposed to like just a, I don't know. I, I don't know if anyone's even said this out loud, but like, is there any part of this where people are like, oh, 911's just trying to seem cool. Like, just trying to like the way a company <laughs> might get a Twitter account. <laughs> oh. I, I don't mean, I don't mean to be that cynical at all. And I don't think that's what it is. Um, but the fact that you can include a picture with a 911 text makes me think that this is like a very useful innovation is considering you can identify a suspect like immediately avoid <laughs> avoid a sketch artist in the future very easily communicate what the situation is by showing somebody or even where you are i don't know where i am photo here you here you go also i i guess the thing i didn't quite understand is why you couldn't locate someone like can you send geographical data via text message i kind of would have assumed you could easily yeah you can i, I think you can but i don't think that it's part of the system like i guess the triangulation with a cell signal is like you know it actually has some sort of system on the phone line that like will ping you from the different towers so it actually is like triangulating your location over the course of the call and if you have to send a text then it's maybe not long enough to do that possibly i don't know um but it seems like that part can't be at least optionally right behind the corner like where you could choose to somehow send your location to the people exactly um, my, my college had a system like that, that the, they implemented where if you sort of sign up for the system, you could like put an app on your phone or on your desktop computer and you could basically, uh, press a button and it would just send your location of wherever you were to campus safety whenever you wanted to. Um, and that seems like something that will be short, shortly behind this, like texting 911, you know, innovation. That's actually, yeah, I was about to bring that up in like, this seems like just moments before, like, why isn't there an official 911 um, website that would, you know, that would also, ha you know, be an app or whatever, you know, or mobile experience, something um, that essentially... It's Why isn't they on 911 technology? <laughs> but, you know, there it seems like it would make all the sense in the world to go ahead and just design your own system for all the things that would be useful in an emergency situation. Yeah. Not that, you know, I think the government's probably going to be the greatest in implementing that, but... But, it seems like it could be the most most helpful thing potentially. Yeah, but I think that they could still have stuff that can at least skirt around that. Like even with photos, if as so long as there's geolocation data on the photo, they can just automatically scrape that whenever they get that in. And there's all these other like shortcut sort of things that they could do in the meanwhile, um, whether they're going to do like their own system 
or um, maybe just technology gets to a point where some of the stuff just kind of gets included. You know, actually, now that I said making their own system out loud, I kind of take it back immediately because it needs to be so robust that creating a new system seems pretty disastrous. I don't know. I, I immediately regret saying that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Like te- one you know- star did not call police. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine is it like it, people have harped on healthcare.gov enough, but like if that's, what we can plan for as the quality of a of a web experience that the government can put out. Like, I don't know if we really want to trust them to deal with emergency situations that way. So why don't we just use systems that already are in place, like the phone, text messaging, possibly email, things that have held up over a period of time. It's the perfect example of something that sounds great on paper. Like, if you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, I could have my phone and my phone I could, you know, press that there's a fire or press I could like quick link the things that I'm most likely to call for and I could see if someone near me had already reported the thing so I don't have to report it in duplicate. Uh but yes, I think in practice you run into the issue of like software is hard and if that thing doesn't work then you're just gonna frustrate somebody on their way to trying to deal with possibly a life threatening situation. So yeah, they have a big uh a big sort of challenge, I think, in sort of changing my system at all. Actually, I think that the, the the options that tend to be more successful are like they're a bit brute force, but like cell phone carriers being required to allow you to call nine one one even if you're out of you know even if you don't pay your cell phone bill or something like something like that, like requiring that SMS carries this other information when texting nine one one. That seems like a more useful route to take than than designing their own system. Well, I'm thinking too, maybe there's uh, other stuff that can go on with the the folks that are designing and and creating the software and and uh devices like if like say hypothetically like you it knows that you're in a text conversation with 911 um just by the number then maybe it just gives some extra shorthand uh, actions that you can send over maybe it just like there's an extra button that you can send your location or something like that or <laughs> it's just, just like it is ironic that we're talking about this and like the NSA thing has all happened already like we know mm. how good the government is at tracking and like recording all of our data and we're like Maybe we just need to build new pathways for the government to get our data. I was going to yeah. bring that up. But also, to be <laughs> fair, we don't know how good they are at it. We just know they're trying really hard. They could still yeah, be true. fucking up a lot, for all we know. I just I got, I got, just love the idea of just sending emoji for whatever emergency situation you're in. It's just like, <laughs> you know, a little it's guy running, and then a fire, and then a hospital, and they have to try and figure <laughs> out what it is. Uh, Actually, you know what's funny about that? Did you... You know, this is uh, this is one of these stories I obsessed about when I was in college, and it was just recently brought up on 99% Invisible this week, the kind of 10,000-year symbol. Did you listen to this? I didn't listen to the episode yet. No, I haven't gotten to it. I'm behind. Or do you know the story of it? I, I, mean, I don't think I do, no. story in the graphic design world. It's the, the story of like, okay, so there's this, I want to say Nevada. There's this, there is a mountain in which the government would like to bury all of our radioactive waste because that radioactive waste is going to take... Actually, in reality, more like hundreds of thousands of years. But for the purposes of this task, they said 10,000 years. So they need to come up with some sort of warning system for future generations not to go near this mountain where all of this radioactive waste is buried. Right? So something has to like transcend language and transcend anything that could potentially change in 10,000 years. They have to come up with some sort of system that transcends any sort of language for 10,000 years. Right? And so that's, you know, the the episode covered like all the possible things that are discussed and it's funny that like most of the the things that most of the possible options were very similar to like emoji man runs away from fire like that is potentially the clearest thing for any civilization to understand is like uh, almost like a comic book sequence of things um 
if it, you can do it in the direction in which people read. You know what I mean? Like that is potentially the clearest way to communicate an emergency. It's definitely a pictographic solution, I have to believe. Like that's the, I think looking back at the earliest types of uh, written language are probably the best way to then guarantee some sort of, you know, readability of something in the in the far future. Uh, that is an interesting problem. Uh, and it, I, man, it'd be so fun to prank the 911 tech. I mean, obviously I wouldn't, but man, it'd be fun <laughs> just to like send them like a picture of like Godzilla attacking a building and be like, oh shit, <laughs> shit's going down. I would like to think that the people there are smart enough to realize that this is not real. Yeah. So something else about the spam, too, is I feel like a, f- a phone call feels ephemeral. Like, it feels like if I say something incriminating or stupid on a phone call, even though I know in my head that 911 calls are all recorded and they can be, of course, played back you know, ad infinitum, it feels like it's less, uh, like I have less responsibility over it than if, like, if I text something or put it in a, a text message. It seems like it's just there for the, all the world to see for all time. Like, I feel like it's it's a more, it's a harder medium to, like, hide in if you're, if you're, trying to uh like pretend like you didn't do something or you know not claim ownership over something um i i, I can't wait to hear the stories about the spam they get from texting it's going to be so different than the spam they get from calls i would yeah i wonder if it goes one or the other i mean i don't think it's just that it feels like it i mean there's a pretty clear legal precedent about like verbal agreement versus written agreement i think it's pretty uh written into our culture yeah, that like point. to write something down is a much better way of clarifying something legally than it is verbally. But obviously the recording something kind of negates that point, but it's more than just a feeling like it's, it's kind of all around you and the things you do every day. I guess that's why I feel okay blowing smoke on my ass this entire podcast. Not in writing. Go ahead, try and go ahead, sue me, sue me internet, come at me. Well, now that we're on SoundCloud, it's pretty easy to kind of link to the thing that you said. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited about that development. We should talk about that briefly. We're on SoundCloud now, everybody. So share and put it all in the cloud and stuff. What is SoundCloud for, really? Like, I, what, why are we using it? Well, like, I, like, what is their? They're just like all audio. They want to be on SoundCloud. Is that their whole thing? Like, no matter what it is, I, I always find uh, like rap songs on there that's pretty much it yeah i mean it's it's pretty much just the place that people can go to unabashedly just post anything that they're working on whether it's complete or if it's just a, a portion of something or a whole song or whatever it seems like a really good product yeah i was gonna say the benefits for anyone using it is that the web player is very good yeah it doesn't skip halfway through like if you click on any point in a song it almost loads immediately it's very well done yeah and the fact that you can comment or link to i think even more that you can link to a specific time of something for for a show that is forty five minutes to an hour long, that's pretty useful. Yep. So, yes, it has its benefits. I, I love the uh, the comment feature because you can see where the comments are, like their density. And a lot yeah. of the songs I listen to use like a huge density of people leaving totally frivolous comments, like right as someone else's verse comes in, and they're like, "Oh, here comes Drake shit," and they're all like piled up in one <laughs> on like one measure, and so you can see like, "Oh, something's gonna happen in the song up up here soon" because there's a bunch of comments coming. Um, it's the part Nicki Minaj's part in Monster. Oh, oh she, she tried way harder than Jay Z. God, Nicki Minaj, she's so great. Except for her actual <laughs> album, which is not good, but her feature she's feature version is other so good. Tracks. I can't wait for her new album. When does her new album come out? It's got to be soon. I don't know. You know, it's funny. I have very little interest. Like you just said, I have very little interest in her albums. But like, I find I always thought that track was funny because like. I find Jay-Z's intro, like Jay-Z's beginning on that track is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard where he just lists a series of monsters. He's the worst man ever. I, no, I, I very much enjoy, like I, there are plenty of Jay-Z albums I love, but like he doesn't try that hard anymore. 
I don't know if he's trying, but... Sorry to get off track. No, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're off track. I think this is exactly how the show is supposed to go. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What? I'm looking at Nicki Minaj's new album to see when it comes out, because it's going to be good. If it's at all like the first single that came out, which I can't say the name of the single on on the show. <laughs> or ever. Oh, was that the black and white video? Yes. That, Man. Yeah, I kind of know what you're talking about. song is great. We're not allowed to say. Look an ass person is what it is. Uh, <laughs> and you can just go look up that song. Um... So the Wikipedia page for the pink print just redirects right to her personal Wikipedia page, which has no information about when the pink print's coming out. The internet is useless sometimes. Anyway, how do we... So 911's cool, and I'm glad everyone can text it, and that's good. I kind of... I'm just very interested to figure out, like, what the uh, the ramifications of that are, but I think it's a, a very solid step forward. And I do... Like, I imagine it's going to help people. Like, I don't think it's going to be a, a negative, and the more... In that situation, the more information, the better, I would imagine. Especially because you can, you know, you can even automate processes that way, I would bet. I can't imagine every single text is, like, instantly to a human being. Actually, maybe that's terrible. Maybe that's terrible. I, I, I think it's very important to consider all of the challenges of a system like that and designing for crazy high stakes. Because uh, people take it for granted. They're like, oh, why can't I just have the app for 911? But I think you're right, Matt. I think that the uh, it's so important that in a lot of ways, innovation is kind of stifled. Uh, while at the same time being highly valued, because if you could make it way better, there's obviously lots of good you can do in the world, but uh, that's like the nexus of great opportunity and great responsibility all happen in that one place in extreme, extreme amounts. Yeah, I actually very, I am very interested in the idea of like, not that I, I don't know if I ever want to be a part of this, but the idea of dealing with information that is so important that all of the kind of like percentage rules just no longer apply. Like you exactly. can't have yeah. like a 99% rate or like a 99.9% mm-hmm. rate and you can't like have any sort of false positives in this, <laughs> in your like quote unquote spam folder. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just, it kind of just changes the game completely uh, in how you can solve any sort of problem there. It definitely does. And the pink print apparently was supposed to come out sometime this week. No specific <laughs> date was given. Uh, yeah. But on May 3rd, she said it would come out in two weeks. So it's got to be it's, out. It'll just come out when Neon Icon comes out. It'll come out the same day. Did you guys listen to Vince Staples' uh, latest mixtape? It came out like uh, a month ago, but I just discovered it. I didn't know it, it was out. Have you, have you heard it yet? Uh, no. The only Vince Staples one I have is... Wait, I can even scroll to it right now. The one you Mac have the Miller. one with Mac Miller, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stolen Youth. That's the only thing I have. Yeah, I do not have. You should get one. a. You should get a Shine Cold Chain Volume Two, uh, especially the song Nate off of that album. That's my that's my hip hop pick of the week right now. Is uh, the Great. song Nate off Shine Cold Chain Volume Two? Actually, you know what I've been listening to. Here's here's a weird one. Here I'll give you my hip hop pick of the week. Bird on a Wire, and it's on a Riff Rap mixtape, which I think Riff Rap is very funny, and I don't quite understand him, but I have no interest in his music. But it is mix, it's Riff Rap featuring Action Bronson, and it's mostly an Action Bronson song, uh, and it's very good, and Riff Rap does a very good job of not ruining it, and I actually really enjoy the song. I don't know why. It's like this, it's going to be a weird thing where I have this one, I can't download a song, I have to download a whole album if it's going to live on my iTunes. I hate yep. having singles. Yep, yeah, me too. So hey, I have me to have too. the whole thing. I pre- you're a completist like I am. I, I have so that. many albums I listen to like three songs on it. I just my brain won't let me get rid of them. So I'm gonna uh, have to have this whole riffraff. Uh, it's more of an album. It's it's a mixtape, but it's a pretty long mixtape on my on my phone at some point. And I'm only gonna listen to this one song over and over and over again. I know this song. But it's, it's a, a very good song. good song. It's a good song. Yeah, you're right. 
Oh. I would use that backing track as like the interlude music to this show if uh, I could get the rights to that. I think that would actually fit very well. You know, no podcast get the rights to anything. We could just fucking ghost. This I like shit. to be honest. I yeah, literally, I, I, I honestly use free like music that is Creative Commons, and I say the names of the bands at the end of the show. And I most like people that, are very confused it. by the fact that you give them credit at the end of every show, as the survey showed. People are like, you no. Know, some people, people are like, you yeah, thank your what, girlfriends for the music, but I don't understand. Do your girlfriends make music, or you say you thank girlfriends for the music, and what music? There's no music in the cool show. Music. What are you talking about? That uh, actually was my favorite part. Is when people said you thank girlfriends for the music, but what music are you talking about? I'm like, what? <laughs> the only music. Yeah. What music do you think I'm talking That's about? Funny. All right, so while the show's going off the rails, I, I do, I, I know we talked beforehand, we said this maybe didn't have any legs, but I think it's very interesting that Square Wallet has been taken out of the App Store. I don't want to talk about it from this perspective of, like, you know, acquisitions and whatever. I, I'm curious to know, just from you guys, why you think Square Wallet is failing. Because, uh, frankly, when they, we talked about it on the show, when they got adopted by Starbucks and felt like this must be, you know, the tipping point. This is the Gladwellian moment. They just became, like, a normal person thing and they've sort of rooted themselves in uh in the everyday life of normal people uh and now it seems like it's totally a failed experiment um where do you think they went wrong oh it, it's all because i mean like when you hand over either cash or your credit card or something like that i like that's your confirmation that you're agreeing to that transaction and where the other one it was like what's your uh your name is dan right yes okay you're good like there's there's no transaction there so it was removing the thing where you got to confirm that you're participating in this rather than it just being even more ephemeral. Do you think that was the problem, Matt? What do you think it was? I actually wrote a piece on humans and design like a while ago about this, and I actually think that's, that's very similar to what I was writing about. It was like there, you need to have some sort of feeling of security in order to hand over money. And that feeling of security might be literally like taking a thing out of your hand and handing it to another human being. That feeling of security might be like entering your pin code and hitting okay. But if that, if, the, if you eliminate that completely, then I think, I don't think you necessarily have a problem. Like it might actually even be more secure than any of the things we just mentioned. But if you don't feel that way, I think you have a problem. I think you have to design for that feeling more than you have. Well, first you have to design for actual security and then you have to design for that feeling of security. And I think like the fact that it's like so simple and friendly is actually a problem. And we've, we've kind of talked about like the idea of loving it, but in reality, like I really haven't used it. I haven't used it more than maybe a couple of times because it doesn't feel as good as it sounds when you say it out loud. Do you think that that's much different from having a tab at a bar or something and, you know, just giving them your name essentially to put it on your tab? Is that why is that not the same sort of not feeling secure issue? That makes me super uncomfortable. If I never had to have a tab at a bar, I'd never would. It's only because some places require me to do it. But that but seems, that that seems feel proven. That seems like people are willing to do that very much so. Uh, that happens at every bar I've ever been to. Uh, I don't know. But it's kind of, but it's kind of forced upon you. Like Square, no one's going to force Square upon you that way. Like... This happens at like places that are very popular and you want to go to, and then they make you do that. Um, I like I don't know where that started. Uh, it became common behavior, but I don't know. That makes me feel very uncomfortable, and I don't like to do that. And if I had a choice not to, and I just, you know, gave them a card at the end, which would be just as effective. Yeah, I give you the money, you give me the donut. End of transaction. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, but I like I feel like um, 
uh, the square wallet mentality doesn't really scale well too. Like, cause there's small purchases where I could see like, if you're just getting coffee or something like that, sure, whatever. I, I feel like it could kind of make sense at that point. If you're going in and you're buying a computer and the same thing is like, Oh Dan, right? Yeah. And that being your transaction, that still feels really strange that all you have to do is just confirm that you're that person on the other person's device or something like that. And then boom, like 1500 bucks of yours is, is gone. That just feels very, that, that feels really insecure. It's just unsettling. But th- th- doesn't the future always feel insecure, you know, for a little while when it first happens? Like, I feel like my, my parents react the same way to going into an Apple store and being able to check out with anybody walking around the store instead of having to go to the counter to, like, get in line. Like, they feel weird walking out of the store after the person in blue told them, like, you're good, you can leave now. Uh, so, yeah. but I don't think that's a reason that the Apple store is like, they're not going to stop doing that because some people feel weird about it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this because, uh, you know, it seems obvious that Square is struggling, uh, in many, many ways. And I did feel like, even though it wasn't necessarily my vision of the future, that it was a valuable and quite viable vision of the future they proposed for, for transactions. Uh, and it seems... Well, to answer, like, to answer your question there, Andy, I think... The answer is like eventually, yeah, that will be fine. But we haven't hit that transition point yet. And like, I don't know if I think the problem is like maybe they're not going to be willing to ride that for long enough. Like, they're not going to be willing to fund that for long enough, the amount of time it takes. It might just be that the next person does it in a couple of years and we've gotten a little bit more used to it with every piece of progress or, or just every piece of moving in that direction. And eventually it happens. Like, w- there will be a point where somebody, I think somebody's going to say, Square was a really great idea, and it just was a little bit too early. Well, and I think that they're also learning from themselves, too, because they put out the, what's it called, like the Square Order or something like that, where essentially, like, you can place your order ahead of time, and then you go and basically just pick it up. Like, I, I feel like that makes more sense for a lot of people, because we're used to delivery stuff, we're used to ordering, but the mentality is that the, the customer is still in complete control of the transaction. So they could say, like, yes, I am confirming this thing and then they get get to go and complete it with whatever the store is like i feel like that's still that's that's easing in that direction without going full-blown like oh there's no credit cards cash nothing so yeah wait, so, i mean the the oh go ahead so get back to what you said matt like the i i think you could be right like it could be this is just ahead of its time although i've never honestly really bought that description of something i feel like anything that he was at all. Oh, it was great. It was just ahead of his time. It was actually flawed in some major way that we later on figure out how to fix. And that's when it became, I guess, the right time for it to be adopted. So as, as someone, or maybe I should just say it's like the seed of an idea that will succeed. Yeah. But like, that's the in thing. the sense so, that like MySpace was a social network that did very well, but it didn't do Facebook well. You know, it was an idea that was going to take off. You just had to get the idea right. Uh, I don't know about that metaphor. That one seems tied up <laughs> in a bunch of stuff. But so for me, as someone that's trying to like invent things is trying to innovate and make new exciting stuff is it our should we just be happy if we make an idea and it fails as a business and it fails as a viable thing during our you know our our shot at it but we contribute this idea to the zeitgeist and someone else runs with it or should we be tempering our innovation to try and not go too far to outpace like humans like should elon musk like chill out a little bit with the electric car thing until people can catch up like i don't I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the lesson to be learned from from what Square has done here? And it seems like the lesson is if you innovate a little too much and you do something a little bit too cool, people might not like it. And then, I don't know, I'm struggling with it a little bit. I mean, I think that is the lesson. And, like, I don't know, like, 
it, there's no clean there's no like happy answer that's oh here's how what they could have done to fix it we're you know you're not going to know and it'll just be in hindsight it was so obvious but we're not going to know right now what they could have done to fix it i mean to your point matt i never use it ever uh part of it is i don't ever go to places that have it um yeah th- there was one gelato shop in baltimore that i went to that did have it uh, and i used it once or twice when i was there as like a novelty uh, and then they like last year replaced it for like the PayPal equivalent swiper thing because it was like the fees were a little bit less or something. I don't know what it was, but they like got rid of Square and adopted a Square clone, uh, which was I think maybe telling as well. Well, actually, my understanding too was that Square Bu- I, Square Bucks, <laughs> Starbucks <laughs> never really fully integrated the system anyway. Like the one major partner that they had yeah. didn't really fully embrace it, so that was a problem. You know, that was always going to be a problem. Yeah, the way they did that was basically they they did like a QR code, which is essentially the exact same th- thing that they did in their own app anyway. So it seemed just like completely redundant to have a different app to just use at Starbucks. Anyway, everyone should innovate super hard and <laughs> like try and solve the problems with adoption instead of, I don't, I don't know, I, I can't. I don't think that the answer is like you have to temper everything. Um, but you just have to understand your context a little bit better, maybe. I, maybe that is tempering. Like, I, you know, I just think of little, not even that I like when we talked about knock. Like, it's not that I, I use knock, but I think the, the concept of it, of like, you know, you could have had the computer just turn on when you walk by, but to add a little interaction to make you feel like you're doing something to turn the computer on seems like a necessary step, even though it's not like a technologically necessary step. Um, I think it's little things like that that I guess, yes, it's tempering it. That's a big lesson that I learned at some point was that, you know, friction is very useful and in some situations and things that are difficult and things that are weighty should feel difficult and weighty. Uh, and that's part of design. Part of design is making things feel hard if they should be hard, which I think people push back against a lot. They expect everything to be as easy and seamless and quick as possible. And that's the inevitable future. But not everything can feel that way. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're just going to learn that, like, you know, if people have to work hard for their money, they're not going to want to see it gone so easily. Kind of make that feeling a little bit closer to how you feel about the things that you've earned rather than it's just gone. That felt good. Yeah. No, it didn't feel good. Do you actually do you have any thoughts about switching it to just being square order? Like I've, you know, I've looked it up and it doesn't seem like I would have any interest. Like I don't I didn't really even know, know I was care thing. about square order. I had never heard it of it It seems before. like it's just a pure seamless web competitor yep. or a Grubhub competitor. I don't think it seems like whatever the thing that they're focusing on now is maybe like not all that innovative at all. It's just a clone of other things. I also wonder what kind of ramifications this has across companies that are in some ways similar to Square where they're like, we're a technology company that we think we can change this big broken system in a you know serious way and uh, have it be adopted by normal people and become a huge competitor when it seems like Square... What it seems like to me at this point in history is that Square was like, hey, what if people had their own credit card readers and you could use credit cards to give money to each other personally? And at first, big banks and big sort of old money institutions were like, that's stupid, you're dumb, dumb idiot tech people, go away. And then they proved that it had some sort of viability and then all of the other banks and money companies just did the same thing. And now Square is useless, essentially. They're just another company that can take credit cards just like every other company can take credit cards that has no real competitive edge, uh, which is like... I guess in some ways it should just be 
glad to have like gotten their idea out there, I guess, even if it, they're not going to necessarily profit from it and become bazillion millionaires, which I guess was maybe what their goal was. But as a creative person, like you, your idea worked. It, it became a thing that people care about, uh, but just through a weird, a weird way. I mean, do you, do you worry about like protection systems for this? Like, it seems like we have a, at this point, we have a patent system that benefits the people who are abusing it, but nobody, nobody's new and interesting ideas are actually getting protected at all. Like all the new and interesting ideas are getting stolen. And then the patent system gets abused so that people who glue tapes to magazines can sue podcasters. Yeah. No, I, I mean, <sighs> are we like, are we just completely backwards, backwards in our legal system? And that's the actual problem. Like there's no, maybe there's no innovating problem. There's a legal problem here. I think there's definitely a legal problem. And this could be a whole show probably. Um, where we would just speculate and not have any real important knowledge to to give the people. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but it's uh, like for a long time, I was like, the patent system is broken. It's stupid. It only messes people up. We should just get rid of it. And, you know, the Internet is a world of perfect meritocracy and free trade. And if you make something that is great, everyone will know you made it because you put it out there and it'll be traceable and you can demonstrate you made it first. And that's all that matters in terms of protecting your sort of stake in an idea. Um, that was a couple years ago. Now I very much feel like uh, the internet is not at all this beautiful merit meritocracy that I've sort of imagined, uh, and that it is very possible for you know underprivileged people, for marginalized communities, for small companies as opposed to large companies to have their ideas just you know yoinked from them and taken and stolen writ large with no sort of uh, with no sort of way of protecting themselves. So I, it, ultimately, I feel like there does need to be some degree of protection, but the patent system seems to be failing completely at that in every way um that should maybe be a show because I, I feel like there's things we could talk about there um yeah um, let's have that conversation let's have a bigger conversation about that because i think the more we've talked about things like this the more i'm i'm wondering if like like are we really blaming people for like having good ideas and having those ideas stolen like is that are we saying that's poorly designing your company or like do we do we just need to design a better system to support those people because why you know, why should it be their burden to essentially like spend all of their time and money protecting their thing rather than coming up with new things? And doesn't that just lead to a system where nobody comes up with new things and they just sit on their, you know, sit on old ideas and sue each other? And I, I really did for a long time have the attitude of like, even if you make something and it gets like taken from you by a bigger company that is more in a, is a more advantageous position to actually like put it into use and to profit from it you still can demonstrate you made that thing and that is a huge asset to you. You can you're going to get a job, going to seek grant funding, going to seek VC investment. You can demonstrate I did this thing first, this company stole it. I am obviously a valuable, creative, innovative person. Um but that just doesn't doesn't work out in reality. Um Yeah, I mean it's also the argument of like, hey, uh build this website for me for free and it's gonna look great in your portfolio. Like we I never buy that shit. No one you know, no smart designer ever buys that shit. More and more, I want design to be exactly like science in that science is this world where like everyone is working towards like the same thing, really, if you think about it, like, you know, unified theory, all that crap, like everyone is just trying to understand the world around them. And this is done through a system of hypothesizing and testing and conjecture and criticism, which to me seems very similar to the way the design approaches the world and trying to solve the problems we have. Uh, but in science, there's just a really great sense of like, if you discover a new thing if you discover a new property of physics there's no sense that like i can't use that like it is there's obviously i'm going to benefit from it your whole goal should be to like publish a paper on this thing so everyone else can understand it and use it in their own research 
Um, but there's also this inherent built-in credit. Like you wrote the paper on it. You are clearly the person that discovered it. You are going to win the prizes. You're going to get sort of the recognition you deserve for all that hard work. Uh, in design, we seem to have like none of the best parts of that system. We don't have that uh, like intrinsic or that intuitive uh, like reward for people that do great stuff. And we don't have the uh, the like intrinsic sharing of great ideas uh, unabashedly. Um, and I, th- I really think we should have that. I think there's too much competition. Like, can you imagine scientists like competing against each other in the way that like design and technology people do, where it's like, you know, it's just too much money involved, I guess, in in design. No one gets yeah. in, no one gets into science for the money, is what it comes down to. Uh, people get into technology for the money, probably exclusively. So that's probably true. I and I actually think my general outlook on life is I think if if whatever gap science can fill in is a is a good thing. Um, even as as frustrating as we've talked about, like data driven design can be, and like just you know you have to determine the color blue based on user testing, like that can be very frustrating. But like the things I don't know, the things that I get very excited about are like, have you ever read that Sam Harris book, The Moral Landscape, or do you know about it? I do not. Essentially, he makes an argument about how uh, the the subtitle is how science can determine human values, and he kind of. Um, makes a scientific argument for morality, which I think is very interesting. Like, I'm sure there are a ton of holes that you could poke in it, but he he does approach it from a scientific perspective as opposed to, like, you know, it seems like that is, like, the one place where religion, like, really digs in because the idea is that morality is, is a, a purely subjective thing. So at least in religion, it's objective because there is a God, but... If it is subjective, then why don't we just all murder each other? Which doesn't really seem realistic, but is an argument that's made all the time. But it's not entirely subjective, though. That's the thing. I think morality is just as That's kind of what the argument is. It's like morality is, you can find a science to morality, or you can kind of, you like, in the same, the analogy he uses, which I think is very interesting, is health. Like, if, if you can have a science of health, and yet the definition of health is about as broad as the definition of mora, or of being moral then you can have a science of morality. Yeah, I, I, I think that you can definitely. And I, I like the scientific approach, not in like the quantifiable numbers kind of nerdy way, but in the like conjecture and criticism way. Like we're going to be very conscious of what has already been done. We're going to be critical of it and we're going to challenge all of our most dearly held assumptions and most dearly held ideas about the world to try and make them better and better and better all the time. And we should do the same thing with design. We should challenge you know, all of our 911 systems, we should challenge all of our ways we have to exchange money with people, and we should constantly be trying to find the best one. Uh, but it doesn't have to be so, like, cutthroat about money. It's just, it's, it's too opportunistic right now, I guess. And maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we're living in a time where this is just like, you know, the gold rush, and in 20 years, there'll be so many technology companies and so many web developers and so many everything that all the money will be distributed more evenly, and it'll be less of a fucking shit show, uh, and it'll be more like a healthy sort of discourse but right now it just feels feels shitty all right so new segment on the show in response to everyone's cool survey that maybe we're too negative all the time we're gonna try ending the show fairly regularly if not totally regularly with something that one of us loves I get the great pleasure of going first, and what I have chosen to share with you this week is uh, Ray Fenwick's Coffee Money Zines. So Ray Fenwick is an artist, an illustrator, designer of sorts, 
Um, I believe he's from Canada, if I, if I remember correctly. I mean, he has this really great project that you can see on his website and on his Flickr called Coffee Money Zines. And these were basically like uh, these mini art grants that he got from his, his friends and family where if you sponsored his coffee at a local coffee shop for a month, so you pay, I think it's like $73 or something for his, for his coffee for the entire month, uh, then he would sit in his coffee shop from 7 to 8.30 a.m. every morning, every weekday, and he would work on a zine for you of a theme that you gave him during that time in which you sponsored his coffee. And the, the outcomes of this, like, I, first of all, I love the idea. I love this sort of uh, very simple but strict structure for creation. It's like, you give me some money, I'll drink a coffee every morning and like doodle, but I'll doodle sort of in your name and in your honor and you can give me an idea and I'll work with it. I think that's beautiful. Um, and the results of these coffee money zines are really, really great. They're, they're part improv because he's sort of starting with something that this person gave them and then he's sort of riffing on it and they're sort of part stream of consciousness, just sort of what's popping into his head. One of my favorite ones is one he did for Jez Burroughs, who is a designer who now works at Facebook uh, and it's called Puzzles and Logic Problems. And it just consists of like these cute little illustrations with uh, little captions, and it's, they're they're funny, they're kind of touching sometimes, they're very insightful. Um, and there's probably maybe a dozen of these uh, zines on his website, and they're all sort of very beautifully photographed. I think it is a great project. It's something I look back to all the time. It's like uh, you think about design as a system, and you know the result of these are beautiful because he's a great illustrator and he's a very sort of witty, you know, charismatic guy, but. Uh, I think the the genius of these is a sort of system he created where it's like, I want coffee every morning and I want to doodle and let me figure out a way to sort of turn that into a little project and something that at least breaks even, you know, financially for him. So I think it's really worth your time. I think you should go check out the Coffee Money Zines and I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. Thank you, Andy. Do we have a name for this segment? What do we what do we just call this? We call it the happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's kind of the name of it now. I'm sorry, but I think that might stick. All right. On the grid's happy ending. Count it. This has been On the Grid, episode 65. You can email the show, mail at onthegrid.co. You can tweet to us using hashtag on the grid. Or find us personally at, at Madam C, at Andy Mangold, and at Dan Hour. If you want to submit a link for us to talk about on the show, visit onthegrid.reddit.com. If you enjoy the show, please review us on iTunes. Thanks to Broke for Free, Asthmatic Astronaut, Cosmic Analog Ensemble, and Immortal Beats for the interlude music, and Girlfriends for the theme music. Finally, thank you to you for listening. Until next week. But speaking of Action Bronson, though, you guys have seen that that preview for his show, right? Fuck, that's delicious. Oh, I've seen the show. It's fantastic. Oh, I my love that God. show. Yeah, no, the I saw the trailer. I haven't seen the show yet, but in the trailer... Oh, Fuck out of here. I know, I know. But in the trailer, uh, God, they stopped on the, middle, on, on the side of the road in the middle of Georgia to Obie's Barbecue. And oh. Yeah, no. Those two things go well together. Yeah, no, no, no. I've been there, and my parents were there like... Like, when that trailer came out, my parents were just there, like, that week. Really? Yeah, and they told me that they went and everything. And then I saw the Action Bronson thing. I was like, ah, I want to go and eat real food. It's awful. Actually, the- I kind of want to go to Flushing Queens and have a milkshake now. Yeah. Get Dan, go watch the first episode. It's, it's very enjoyable. I, I kind of love watching him talk about food. And my girlfriend kind of hates him. He Why? Cannot Aww. Why? Why does she hate well, him? Well, have you ever? Well, have you listened to an Action Bronson song? Because if it's oh, disgusting pretty lyrics, hard, like it's pretty hard to be a lady and listen to one of those. I understand that. Well, it, I was it's like pretty... listening to a freestyle, and he was like, 
this is horrifying. It's like, well, it's pretty I mean, objectifying, but it's also very uh, it's very uh, praising. It's 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 laud it's laudatory of of a woman and her her body mostly. <laughs> yeah, he's not. Dis- I mean, if he's not disrespectful in the way that like some other rappers are disrespectful, where he's like, "Oh, I smack my bitch and I throw her down the stairs, and she doesn't get no, to do no, anything." No, no, it's like very. Yeah, um... it's like her body parts remind me of Bukatine and razor clams. <laughs> anyway, oh, God, uh, I really like oh, Action dear. Bronson. Um, this show is a very interesting episode of the show. I'm not sure <laughs> what people are gonna think of this one yeah. we should put a disclaimer at the beginning of every show saying listen they're getting worse every single one of them <laughs> if you, start if at, listened, look start at the beginning and you're gonna have to listen for a really long time before you get to this so before you have any buy-in we basically need to get you really like addicted to just just like you know feeling like you know us even though you don't really like us we're like those friends that kind of like weaseled their way into your friend group and now you have to listen even though you're not really into it 